Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, thank you guys for being here. And I want to introduce you to Dorian. I've known Dorian for a really long time. I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can unpack and talk about. Dorian is, if we head over to his site, where is it? it says right here, or Dorian on your Gumroad, director of the digital art program at the Barcelona Academy of Art. Uh, lots to talk about there. I'm, I'm really excited to actually go to Barcelona here in, in April, I think is where, where I'm going to go. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, Dorian. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. So tell me, um, Dorian, how you explain what you do today? If I was to ask you, I was just say, hey, what do you do? Well, as it says there, I draw, paint, sculpt and teach. I divide my time between working at Barcelona Academy of Arts, mm -hmm. where I teach people to draw and paint and sculpt <laughs> mm -hmm. um, both traditional media and digital media. Cool. And then I have my website where I build courses for artists and I have a studio where I paint and well, do all the other things, like do my own creative work. And you have a, um, an interesting path into this. Now, a lot of the people I talk to are, uh, usually digital and 3d on top of that. Um, but can you walk me through some of your education? You had an apprenticeship. You had a couple of different things in there, or at least different learning. Yeah, modalities. big journey. And I'm yeah. still in the middle of it. Um, I was always drawing as a kid, like most of us. And then in high school, I was, well, as a kid, and then in high school, it was especially pronounced. I was really shy and insecure. Mm -hmm. And drawing was a way to get attention and acceptance. Mm -hmm. I always had pencil in hand and drew on the back of handouts in math class. And people would come over in the break and say, oh, you drew that. Wow, that's cool. And it would make me feel a bit better about myself. Mm -hmm. So I used it like that and I enjoyed it. But I wasn't really serious until I found conceptart.org, the online forum, mm -hmm. and saw people who worked on their skill, on their craft every day. And it was a New Year's, New Year's resolution on the 1st of January, 2004, when I decided to draw every day and start a sketchbook thread on conceptart.org. And yeah, that was very helpful, that discipline and continuity and being less precious about the individual drawing and just, okay, see what I can learn from this one and move on. I know there's going to be many more. And many of these are going to suck. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you scroll up a little bit, there's a drawing of a guy with a little hat. I'm not sure what the article is, like in the middle of your screen. How to improve there's your drawing the, skills through incremental growth. Yeah. There's uh, the first drawing I did. And I apologize for people who are listening to this. Mm -hmm. but I guess you can go to my website, dorianiton.com. There's that drawing number one when I started my drawing habit more, mm -hmm. more formally. And then the same idea two years later and then two years later again. And through concept art, like through that online community, because I didn't have people around me that were drawing or painting, I found inspiration and motivation and also uh, ideas about where I could study. At that point, I was really wanting to learn how to draw and paint properly, like to get the skills to create images that, like the ones I was seeing online. Mm -hmm. And I found the schools in Florence, Angel Academy, Florence Academy, Charles mm -hmm. Cecil Studios. And I went to visit, I went to many places, Paris, in the US, tuition in the US is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was not a possibility, but I came came to one of the conferences that they did, conceptart.org did, 
blew my mind. Uh, and eventually, yeah, I went to Florence and just fell in love with with Angel Academy in particular and studied there for four years. Just very classical. There were no computers in the building. Um, yeah, it was a, a magical, really special time for me. But because of conceptart.org, I had this awareness and just in digital art as well. So in the evenings and weekends, I would teach myself Photoshop and ZBrush and some of your tutorials actually the very beginning <laughs> helped a lot. And so I was kind of learning both things, the digital and traditional at the same time, going definitely more deeply into traditional. Um, but yeah, exploring digital at the same time. So that that's interesting. First education. You got into it from the digital and went traditional. Yeah, in a way. I mean, starting I, I traditional like it. as a child. Yeah. But then photography and yeah, conceptart.org helped a lot. Okay. So if we're looking at the Angel Academy, for those who don't know, this is um, an old school atelier approach, um, primarily focused yeah. on site size methodology, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Really close observation of nature, what's in front of you. And you start with the cast and then you work your way up. You start painting. with what's called bark drawings. Mm -hmm. They're drawings created by Charles Bark of the French Academy. Uh, and they're, there's a sequence of drawings from very simple to more and more complex and subtle. Yeah. And depending on the school or the program, you do a few or more. And that's 2D to 2D. So you're just copying drawings in pencil. Mm -hmm. And then you uh, draw sculptures, which is cast drawing, plaster casts of, of famous sculpture, sculptures. Mm -hmm. And that's 3D to 2D. So how to translate something three-dimensional into a two-dimensional image. And this is pretty interesting, the cast drawing. I really enjoyed it. And it feels a lot like sculpting. Yeah. I don't know if it's charcoal as a medium. The fact that it's side size, so this, the drawing you're making is the same size as the sculpture you're looking at. Mm -hmm. But when you look at one of these drawings on the wall, it really feels like there's a sculpture there, like you can touch it, like a hologram. And if you took a photograph of the sculpture and printed it out, I think it would feel just like a photograph on the wall, flat. So it's a lot of subtle decisions that the artist makes that creates more form and depth, but also something about the physical medium of charcoal on paper. Mm -hmm. or I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question and, um, I don't know how to say it in the way that I mm -hmm. mean it. Cause it'll, it'll sound a little aggressive, <laughs> but, okay. uh, but you know, this is like, this kind of stuff is very close to my heart. I actually, yeah. um, I went to the Pennsylvania Academy of fine arts and there it wasn't serious enough. So I actually went to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I met with the atelier in Chicago, and it was my teacher Al Guri that talked me back into Pafa, and it was it was him and him alone that I actually I, I wanted to study with him. Otherwise, I'd have gone down the atelier route. Um, but the question I've got today: deep fakes, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. How do and I know you've probably thought about this. How do we place value? on this level of study, which as you know, is years long mm -hmm. study, because you're changing your, your bio, you're changing your biology, you're changing your brain. <laughs> yeah. How do we, how do we put value on that? How do we value it? Tell me question. Does that question make sense? It's not too rude, right? Yeah, no, totally. No, no, no. For me, the value is for you, for the artist mm -hmm. who learns to see so much more. So every day of my life, as I go through life, as I'm sitting on the bus, I look at how the sun shines on the neck of the person in front of me, and I just marvel at the beauty of life. And these are things I wouldn't see, I think, without this developing of my eye. Mm -hmm. I'm rewarded so many times by the effects of light or reflections in the puddles of rain on the street, 
So the the time spent observing closely makes life so much richer. For me, it's a self-development kind of thing. Right, I get Getting that. in touch with life more deeply and more richly. For other people buying the work, yeah, I'm not sure. It's an impressive feat of craftsmanship, I guess. Um, can be inspiring, maybe, or just also something that reminds you, like when I, why do we go to museums to see paintings mm -hmm. that were done in the past? I think there's something that reaches through time and touches us. Hmm. Fair enough. So a big part of this is just pure self-development. And I, I love that learning how For to me, see, you know, learning how mm -hmm. to see, and that's the big thing right off the bat. So I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on this because I think, um, I mean, it's, I don't have an answer and this is something I'm dealing with. Like, uh, I was just in a, uh, workshop with um, Christina Cordova, and it was all terracotta, right? So my students will will know this. I mean, I came back and I'd still prefer to be playing in the mud <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, it was so beautiful to just work in clay and work at this because it's an ungodly slow process. Um, <laughs> but that slow process was very rewarding and learning to see, and in my case, in the clay, learning to work and work with clay became its own reward. So then the variable yeah. to that, learning how to learn, learning how to see, learning how to feel, and, and, the, and the process of learning can be very rewarding or is rewarding, you know, especially for those of us that like value growth and, and whatnot, like I think you do. But then the question becomes, how do we provide for ourselves? How do we provide for our family? And you've done that mm -hmm. while continuing your journey of of learning to see so you know someone can go down this road and be like well look i need to provide for my family i need a i need a job um what is your answer to that in terms of the the ways that people can continue to explore their own journey but still provide for themselves does that make sense yeah um, let's see. I mean, the answer is going to be different for each individual, sure. like every person. Yeah. And I think it definitely pays off, uh, especially in quality of life to think about what you want to do and where you want to go mm -hmm. and how to get there. Um, I had a thought. I'm not sure if I can articulate it. Mm. It's something about the quality of projects that you pursue. Mm -hmm. like I think the enduring things that we as humans create have a, a depth to them. So if you search out depth or intensity or richness or whatever, that is for you, meaning um, you will it will lead you to other people who are doing the same thing, and that's valued in art. I don't know. That sounds very abstract. <laughs> it does, but and I think we can drill it down because what I'm seeing, and we were talking about this before the session, is there's places like Gumroad, there's courses. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you've you you, uh, you and I know each other because you did a course for me back in the day over at UArtsy, um, yeah. which you know had probably one of the most illuminating discussions on lighting I'd I've ever heard to this day about how the light <laughs> falls off, you know, and what happens right at mm -hmm. the um, at the Terminator, and um, how the light isn't just a linear gradation and it moves um, from there. So this kind of, what you're diagramming right here. Um, yeah, I love that concept. I know. You know, so you've spent a lot of time not just learning to see, but you've also spent time codifying that. Yeah, like I was, I'm thinking a lot about <laughs> everything mm -hmm. and myself, a journal, 
and I realize I am like there's a part of me that's really core to who I am, which is mm -hmm. like a, a tidy upper. <laughs> I organize things, I clean things up. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> that gives me so much satisfaction. So it's like that with physical spaces and with like even other people's physical spaces sometimes, which mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we can talk about, but also with ideas, with concepts. So for me, it's to make sense for my own sake, I need to kind of put it on paper or write it down or diagram it somehow. And then through like my own learning online, I appreciate so much people putting out tutorials that I can learn Blender or whatever it is that like I have it already, so I might as well put it out there. Mm -hmm. I love that you're a tidier upper of concepts. Because <laughs> when I first started working with you, I, was, I like I I knew that I was talking to a kindred spirit, somebody who wasn't just teaching like you know software buttons or or whatnot, but you're actually developing concepts and your own concepts. Uh, if I remember correctly, you had an accuracy guide. Yeah, it's on courses at the top navigation. Yeah. yeah, we can talk about like that story maybe of since you brought up making a living and all of that. Mm -hmm. The accuracy guide was the first product I made for sale. And maybe this applies to everyone, not just people who are looking to make courses and teach. Um, well, first of all, it was super hard to like get something done, actually. So done at the quality joined, that you wanted, right? I guess that's a big part of it. Yeah. But yeah, just putting something out and then also making it for sale. It's mm -hmm. very intimidating or mm -hmm. for me, at least I think for many people. Um, so I joined a challenge, which was a 30 day challenge over at fizzle.co. It's a, a place for like solo entrepreneurs, small business owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have this 30 day challenge, which is, which is called the just ship it challenge. And at the end, you need to have a product online with a buy button, whatever it is, can be your first song or a poem or a web comic or anything you want. So I chose to make this very, very simple guide on getting proportions more accurately when drawing from observation, it's the mm -hmm. biggest, uh, waste of time for people to redraw, redraw, recorrect, recorrect proportional mistakes. If there was a way to get more accuracy from the start, it would save a lot of time. And that time can be directed to develop the drawing further. And I just couldn't figure out for the life of me what to price this thing at. And I was going in circles. And in the end, I found out about pay what you want pricing. Mm -hmm. It's a pricing model where the customer decides how much they want to pay. And I thought, okay, well, I can do that, I guess. And I just put zero plus as the price. And I thought I would get, I don't know, maybe the first two weeks, $50. That would be amazing. Something I made and people give me money. I published it and it blew my mind. I think something like 10 days, there were $7,000. Mm. And I know this is not the common experience. This is like an outlier experience and it's gone down. Like this was the spike at the launch and right. I did a huge launch effort with a small audience, but some people picked it up like James Gurney was a massive audience. I think that helped a ton. But just a dollar amount doesn't matter so much. Just for me, the fact that people willingly give me their money for something I created to mm -hmm. just like be helpful, that was incredible. So I want to encourage those of you that are listening to put your things out there. And if you don't know what to charge, make it pay what you want. And it might just be that for two years, you're getting $15 a month from that it's I've been teaching by the time I put this out I had been teaching I don't know maybe five six years already so I had a, a 
kind of list of students and connections, other teachers. Like it sounds like an overnight amazing success, but you have to build up two things. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then what happened after that? You did another thing? <laughs> you contacted me and we did the <laughs> Mastering Lighting Form course together. Yeah. And that was super helpful to have the structure because it's an epic undertaking for me to have a like 10 right. module course. Mm -hmm. And yeah, knowing that there are students that are going to come next Saturday for module three, I got to finish it. And it's been a struggle. Like I'm redoing that course now. Mm -hmm. And I've been working on it for probably a year and a half. And part of it is just the work at the academy it takes a lot of my time and energy because I want to do that well. And we're still like young and building it, figuring it out. Um, but yeah, I'm struggling with my perfectionism, my <laughs> wanting it to be really good. And I don't have a, a deadline imposed by someone else outside me. Yeah. Yeah, it so reminds me of um, Marshall. No. You know Marshall. Yeah. Manager, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's he's like that. He's been working on a perspective course for years. Yeah, a bunch of years. Yes. Yes. Um, but the point that uh, the reason why I wanted to just mention that briefly is uh, the accuracy guide. You you got it out, but you've been focused on a certain level of quality. You had a result. You considered an outlier. But I might argue that it's not necessarily an outlier when that's your process, which is you focused mm. on quality. And so um, when we get out there and we're talking about Gumroad, we're talking about all of this, um, I guess what I want to know is just if you have any tips, any advice for people that are thinking of doing this. And, and the, the context of it, of this question for me is that uh, if I go to Gumroad, I don't know quality. And I've gotten tutorials from amazing artists that have no audio. And then I've gotten tutorials uh -huh. by artists that have audio and at the same, and then the audio is like, you know, I mean, it's sometimes it's great. I've got a couple of great ones, but I haven't, but my percentage and my batting average is not so good on Gumroad. Um, so the question really is like, What's the advice you have for any sustainability or the way that you think about this, um, you know, moving forward, especially, you know, since you're somebody who really believes in quality? Yeah, I think that, that word concept is definitely big for me. Hmm. Go for quality. I don't mm -hmm. know. Like, I listened to some though, of your, your conversations. You mentioned Vitaly Bulgarov, I think, who spent yeah. six months on one character and that oh, got yeah. him a job. Yeah, great. Good point. Good point. Same idea, I guess. You need the luxury of time. Or if you don't have... Like if you feel like you don't have time, you can shift your perspective and take the long view. And I think if you're investing in quality, it's going to pay off sooner or later. Like good work is always like it's timeless. Whether that's a drawing or a course or a song or anything. Got it. I'm not sure. What else? Well, let's shift gears. Comment. Hmm. What does figure drawing give you? And I'm, what I want to know is just what's our assumption here? Because I, I draw. I love drawing. Um, yeah. That's like that was my first love. And I love charcoal, not the atelier approach to charcoal. Where you sharpen those things and you use the hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like super slow. Um, I used to tell people I'm – there's these there's two modes. There's the – classical and there's the baroque and it's unfair to put atelier in the classical perspective but let's just say there's the slow methodical approach that's more classical then there's the baroque approach mm -hmm. where you make a mess and you clean it up slowly mm -hmm. or quickly but i'm i'm like make a mess so my charcoal 
always make a mess. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, in today's world, really, what's the value you see in me doing figure drawing and studying in um, and doing this? I think the same, like learning to see. And once you've developed your eye like that, you can pick out the artists who who know what nature does. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you, you develop your eye by looking at nature and the human body is the prime example of nature's design, but you can draw animals or plants, like the, the shape design, the balance in the shapes, or even when you get to color or patterns, there's something magical that nature does that we don't do instinctively, I think. Mm -hmm. We tend to repeat ourselves to create imbalances. Yeah, to become a good designer, I think figure drawing is really, really helpful. And just more pragmatically, if you work in the arts, you, especially, I guess, in entertainment, you're more than likely going to work with the human form, faces or bodies, mm -hmm. even if it's stylized. By looking at bodies for a long time or again and again, you notice what things look like and what looks odd. A non-artist may be able to see that something looks off, but they can't put their finger on it. But mm -hmm. you as a professional, when you study the human form, you know why something looks odd. I think that's the value and it's just fun. If I was, um, if I'm listening to this and I'm in games or, you know, in CG, uh, mm -hmm. what is your advice for somebody to go out and practice figure drawing? And, you know, of course there's the go find figure drawing class thing. Um, yeah. but, you know, sometimes that's hard, like, especially here where I am in Laguna beach, if I wanted to do figure drawing, I kind of have to hire my own model. That's, I forget how much they get paid. It's like 20, 25 an hour. Um, it's a lot of money. So what's your advice um, for somebody who wants to like, just get off this, this stop listening and go draw? What do I do? <laughs> um, ask your friends, I guess. Use a mirror if you don't have a model. Mm -hmm. I, it's, I think, much better to do it from life, actually, with a real person. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can, there's some websites where there's a collection of images for the reference that you can draw from. That's good to build a process of how to sketch or how to build a body, mm -hmm. but you lose a lot of information. Maybe there will be a point when VR is super real and we can work directly in VR from a virtual real feeling model, but I'd much rather be in the same room with a person. Mm -hmm. And if they're not comfortable taking off their clothes, you can, draw their arm or draw a portrait. There's benefits in drawing fast, like quick studies and a lot of benefit in doing something slow and finishing it. Got it. Because and it forces you to look so closely to really get into it. In terms of using photographs, mm -hmm. valuable, not valuable. For what? For practicing your eye? drawing. I guess that's a sure. legit question. You know, it's like if I'm saying for figure drawing, but you're saying, you know, for what purpose? So if the goal is to practice. It will get you more familiar with the human form. Yeah. And they don't move, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, a nice part, which is sometimes frustrating, but actually mm -hmm. helpful uh, of drawing a real human is that they will move even just the breathing the readjusting, the coming back after the break, there will be, you will be presented with a menu of variation and mm -hmm. you get to pick out your favorite moments. Maybe you have a drawing that's pretty developed and you like the pose and then the model does something and you're like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. And you change your drawing to make it richer. So the final drawing is like a collection of the most beautiful moments throughout 
the sessions. At the academy, we do four-week poses or five-and-a-half-week poses. Uh-huh. So you get three hours a day for five weeks with the same subject. What is your mission now there? Because you do digital, you do the digital side, right? Both, yeah, digital and traditional. So what does that mean when I'm looking at this? And because if, if I go, if I look at Barcelona, uh, the academy, I mean, they've got, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's traditional. It's traditional, traditional. So how does digital fit into that conversation? I'm sure you guys are still figuring that out, yeah. but I mean, I just, I just want to kind of unpack how that works. Yeah, we are still figuring it out, but we're much further than the four years ago, which mm-hmm. is when I started. The academy is eight years old. They started with 15 students back then, and now we're at around 200. And it's a really special place. There are three departments, drawing and painting, sculpture, and digital art and design. Uh, drawing and painting is probably 75% of the students. And then sculpture, 10%, and drawing and painting, the remaining no, wait, my math. Not good to do math on a live show. Don't be mad. I always pause. Drawing the video. and painting <laughs> is like most of the people. Then sculpture, I think they have around 30 students. And digital, we're at 10. And the way we do it at the moment is that in the afternoon is always long pose. So mm-hmm. that's figure drawing. Each trimester, we have two long poses. And in the middle, there's a one-week hand study and a one-week foot study. So four-week long pose, one-week foot study, one-week hand study, four-week long pose. Mm-hmm. That's 11 weeks of the, tri- of the term. Then in the mornings, we do four weeks of traditional media. Or wait, no, four weeks of observational drawing. So the bark drawings, the cast drawings, and then seven weeks of design. And I can talk more about what we do there. Um, with the observational drawing, we start with pencil and we go to Photoshop. So instead of charcoal and oil paint, we go pencil to Photoshop. Hmm, interesting. Same with figure drawing. We start in pencil, do pencil long poses for those four weeks, and then digital long poses. First, a line-based approach, which is similar to pencil drawing. Then a mass-based approach, which is more like oil painting. You paint with masses of value, first in black and white, and then in color. And design, we, uh let me see if I can sum it up. We work in character design, industrial design, which will be props and environments, like more perspective heavy things, and creature design. Those are kind of three focus areas. When you're uh, when you're doing the mm-hmm. digital work, are you working from in Photoshop? Are you working from live model or photographs? For the afternoon long pose from the live yeah. model, uh-huh. and That's for from the live design model. class from whatever we need, uh, imagination, photo reference, three D. Okay. And in the live drawing, the li- the um, the afternoon session, the live class, mm-hmm. is it is that traditional media or any digital? Starts in pencil, so we think of of like martial arts belt levels. Yeah. You start as a white belt, then yeah. blue belt, brown belt, black belt. White belts work in pencil. Blue belts start in digital, but it's black and white. Brown belts go to full color. And black belt is kind of final project, which is a more complex composition. Mm-hmm. Got it. One of the things um, that really intrigues me about what you do is you're an artist and a teacher. What does that mean to you in terms of marrying those two worlds? Um, because as I find, sometimes the teacher side takes over, sometimes the artist side takes over, <laughs> sometimes they're friendly, sometimes, yeah. you know, they're frenemies. <laughs> I've never heard that. Uh, yes, I have definitely focused on the teacher side the last uh, 10 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I feel the swell of the wave 
of the artist side coming back. And I think to be the best teacher I can be, I need to be artist first. But I have to get the program at the academy to a place where it's stable and it works. So if I go off now and say, I'm a, an artist first, I'll just have a day to focus on the academy. It's not going to be good, <laughs> I think. But yeah, there's definitely a tension between the two. Mm -hmm. I don't see myself pursuing art as a career, as in selling my work. Like I have too many complications about money and art in my head mm -hmm. and how the art market wor works. Um, I make my work for myself and for friends, usually as gifts. It's kind of therapy or just playful exploration. Mm -hmm. And maybe that will change at some point. But for now, it's like, yeah, the art side is like my my own little world mm -hmm. and the teaching is is how i get paid and how i feel like i'm serving which i really really enjoy yeah i was thinking about it last night um and i posted in my group the the artists that you and i admire bernini and you know these guys these these were these were production artists back in the day, <laughs> you know. They, they were. Yeah. We look at it now and we're creating art. They are looking at it and they're like they're production artists. That's that was their game studio was that they were producing yeah. this product and they had an industry around it. And I was thinking the first virtual reality um, program, and I'm forgetting his name right now, was the development of perspective by Filippo Brunelleschi. That was the first virtual reality program. The first <laughs> time somebody was trying to put us into the actual experience, nice. uh -huh. into that world. So virtual reality is like, you know, 600, 500 years old, going all the way back to Filippo and the invention of perspective. And if, you, if I look at it from that perspective, I realize all of these artists have been involved in the commerce of production for the most part on this the idea of fine art is much more of a recent one uh, a recent mm -hmm. development and that's what's kind of interesting to, you know from you and i like i think about myself in this journey as well as like, i don't see I, I actually owned a gallery for a little while and as i as i got into the process of selling gallery selling artwork i was like uh no thanks uh i'm out this is not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And that realization that either way this is going to become a business led me to, I think, a similar decision that you made, which was I would prefer to serve in education than in, you know, grandizing myself and my art. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. And I think some people like pull it off and they feel good about it and it works for them. Right. And that's great. <laughs> I can't see that for myself, but I'm open to it changing. Yeah, I'm totally open to it changing. <laughs> totally. And it's my own <laughs> it's my own crap. I'm sure of it, you know. Um mm. so the um the the question of the dilemma that I've or the thing that I think I want to unpack around this. Um is I had a thought too. Yeah, go for it. Uh, just to put a bookmark, yeah. like uh, working with other people, I guess, like making something together. Mm -hmm. You can continue with your thought. Just wanted to flag that. We can come back. Oh yeah, right. that. working together in projects. So what I was wondering is, is how does the artist manifest in your life? And I think this is something that uh, many people I talk to experience, you know, because we all have the money side, like, okay, so I'll do X, I'll do Y, I'll be at Starbucks, I'll be here. And then the artist comes in waves where we're just compelled 
it's like I got to and it comes in and you know this frustration builds for me sometimes this frustration builds until I'm like screw the business I got to focus on this and be an artist first how does the artist manifest in you does that make sense um I'm not sure like what what motivates me to create yeah yeah when you because if I come through here and we look at your site I remember this one the Adora mm -hmm. and I remember looking at this and it's just so beautiful and you had a process you had a you know something created a swell of activity in you that allowed you to get in and start making this and then that swell at a certain point you know you're like okay i'm finished with this work um, <laughs> and then there was a bit of time before another swell developed in you to create another piece of work right yeah well that um <laughs> deadlines help having mm -hmm. an exhibition coming up mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah, I think these works all happened because of exhibitions that I knew I had to produce something. Okay. And there's so much pressure and anxiety and frustration and being angry with myself. I wish it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Like, I hear people talk about this, and that's just a part of being an artist. I feel like there has to be a better way. It doesn't need to be such a struggle every time. Mm -hmm. I haven't found a, a better way. I'm trying. The book, The Artist's Way, has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a 10-week a or not sure what, what the duration is, but you read the book and you follow along with little exercises. Mm -hmm. And journaling is part of it and doing artist dates or you take yourself to do something you're just enjoying as if you were a child again. Yeah. Um, yeah, like often I have to force myself to, to start. Once I get started, it's easier, but there's periods where I don't create, I don't draw and paint for weeks or months and I start feeling guilty mm -hmm. and that's the pressure that builds up like and i yeah spiral like i overthink like if i was a real artist i would create more so i don't miss it i don't have the urge to draw so i must not be a real artist all this it's just unhelpful <laughs> yeah and i'm trying to work through it um yeah I, I like making gifts for people. And when I'm on trips, I bring my watercolors and sketchbook. Um, last year I've been doing therapy with a, a woman in Switzerland to like look at my childhood and some of the not so great things that happened back then. Mm -hmm. And there's some images that came out of conversations with her that I'm starting to paint. Hmm. That's like that's the the real artwork. I feel like that I'm working mm -hmm. on now. Like I when I doodle, I do heads like more floating heads. I love doing them, but I've done hundreds or maybe thousands of them. I'm not really learning much. It's just fun. Mm -hmm. But there's one painting I'm working on which came out from one of those conversations that, yeah, like I'm just curious to see where it takes me. And I showed it to some friends recently and they saw things in it that were, once they said it, it was obvious, like, oh yeah, but I hadn't thought about it like that. So mm -hmm. I'm also curious about learning about myself and the world through the artwork mirroring back things through other people's perception of it. What is an artist to you, if you had to define it? Is there some phrasing yeah, that's I ever Yeah, I thought about that. Yeah. Like you said you wanted to talk about my philosophy of art. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. so i thought about it and it's like what what isn't art hmm. i think of it as like a lens to look at the world through like art is a lens through which you can see the world mm -hmm. and craft is a part of it but not necessarily i think okay and art is expression i think always but probably there's someone out there that says wait but in this case it's not expression and it's still art because it's also the observer who's looking at something mm -hmm. so but i guess for me an artist is someone who creates things a good artist is someone who creates things honestly and courageously and that's been a big thing the last few years for me like courageous action and where the most transformation happens i took a clown workshop which was super scary to sign up for that uh, it was called la sombra encarnada the incarnate shadow and it was incredible amazing amazing i did a meditation retreat 10-day silent retreat last year mm -hmm. last summer 10 days i also mm -hmm. oh man i did uh i did four days once i came back to reality uh -huh. and it was psychedelic <laughs> such an amazing experience to do that yeah and there was like it's silent but also no communication with the other people you come no there for contact. your process exactly yeah the food is prepared by volunteers it's all it's free uh yeah just 10 days get up at 4 30 and start the first session at five mm. breakfast there's a lunch there's no dinner you get a fruit for dinner <laughs> and it kind of ends at 9 9 30 and start again 4 30 the gong rings mm -hmm. <laughs> that was very interesting like things i started noticing happening in my body and of course in my mind I found out that I'm much tougher than I thought I was, which is good, helpful. <laughs> but yeah, that's something I would like to encourage all of you that are listening to take meaningful, courageous action for your creative projects and in life in general. If there's things you've been putting off that you feel are important, just start with a small step like do the things that scare you what do you mean you were tougher you found you were tougher what was it that challenged you there physical pain physical discomfort what was this um, event that led to that did I, I think i might have missed something the meditation retreat oh yeah sitting in lotus or whatever it is there was no prescribed way to sit mm -hmm. and people like there were pillows and mm -hmm. everybody built like this these thrones of pillows it was so funny and me too because it starts hurting a lot and you mm -hmm. just don't know how to sit the breaks are five minutes i think like you just sat for an hour a five minute break and you know like then the gong rings and you got to go back and you just don't know how else to sit and well you just are with the pain and there was a moment where i well like the second day i think i realized if I don't do this properly, I'll have to do it again, just for myself. Mm -hmm. Like, this sucks. I never want to do this again. And the only way that I can never do it again is to give it 100%. Because if I, if I try to uh, make it easy for myself and like cheat, I know I didn't really do it. And I'll sooner or later, maybe it's in five years, maybe it's in 10 years, I will be too curious about what would have happened if I really had gone for it. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted mm -hmm. to do this once and then be done with it. So I committed fully on that second day. And there are some sessions on the third, fourth day, I think it starts, where you're instructed not to move for the one hour 
like not to adjust your position, not to change your legs. Mm-hmm. However you choose to sit down, stay like that. And there was a moment like an hour into it, I think it was a, an hour and a half session or two hour session where I was really concerned about causing damage to my knee. Mm-hmm. Like it just hurt so much. Like I thought maybe there's no blood flowing through and I had yeah, just a fear of damaging my knee permanently. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if, I don't think it's necessary for, <laughs> for everybody to have this experience, but I chose to sacrifice my knee and feel like put my attention to the in that exact location where it hurts mm-hmm. and stay there and then the sensation will shift to another place mm-hmm. i felt it like a a black cloud very dense when i put my attention there it kind of opens like the cloud becomes lighter and dissolves and then i notice another cloud in another location so i go there with my attention mm-hmm. And well, eventually the gong rang and I opened my eyes and got up and I realized that there were only three or four people left in the hall out of maybe around 80. Oh my gosh. And some sessions you can leave to practice in the rooms, like in the, in the sleeping quarters. Mm-hmm. But people were not practicing there, like most of them were went there to sleep. Um, so this is also the story I told myself in my own mind, like during the meditation, I hear, I keep kept hearing people getting up and leaving. Mm-hmm. Like 10 minutes in, someone gets up and leaves. 20 minutes in, two other people get up and leave. You have your eyes closed, so you can't see who or, yeah, but you notice someone is leaving. And for me, it's like, okay, they're, they broke. Like they gave up for this session mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I stayed and I, like, I saw how tough I am in, in like how much determination I have. And I didn't know that about myself. And what was the story you were telling yourself before that? I'm weak because I'm so uncomfortable so often in social situations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I avoid things. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I hide, I I make myself small. And after that particular session, like I got up and I left the meditation hall. I stepped outside and there were some other men. It's uh, men are on one side, women are another side. Mm-hmm. And kind of for the first time in my life that I remember, I felt like I have a right to be in that space. Hmm. Like I don't have to hide. I too have a right to be here. It's like gave me self-respect and that's huge. And it is is great. Now it's a memory of a moment. Mm Like I still have my anxiety and my insecurities, but I've tasted freedom from that anxieties. I know what that feels like to be in a space and not have to feel like I have to make myself small. And now my, <laughs> I want to get there. I want to make that my psychological home in a way. Mm-hmm. To live like that. That's the personal development side. And I'm sure that will have an effect on my teaching and on my art and just how I am in the world as a person. Mm -hmm. Why do we play small? Why do we hide like that? Mm. For me, it's a fear of rejection, I think. Mm Mm-hmm comes from childhood experiences. I don't know, as a species, and I don't think it's universal. Some people are comfortable in their own skin, Mm -hmm. comfortable, confident. They don't know that experience of, of needing to hide, I think, I don't know. 
And yeah, I would love to like solve this for myself and then be able to help other people that feel shy and insecure, leave that behind. And there's a sensitivity that comes with it that is really useful, I think. Like when I enter a room, I perceive a lot of things that probably some fun, someone who's very confident does not perceive, but it also makes it very difficult to be present with other people mm -hmm. in conversations sometimes. There's so much happening internally in my physiology, in my mind. That's distracting. Okay. What do you think we hide? I, I think the... The, the, the fear of rejection is probably one of the most dominant things I hear and that I feel inside myself as well. Um, but it means a lot to me, this, this um, story that you're explaining about that, mo that moment in which you're like, for one of the first times you feel like you belong in that group. Because I, I know, you know, I, most of the people I deal with is, are um, men in games and we talk about it being a male dominated industry and all of that. But at the same time, mm -hmm. um, men don't really talk about what it's like to be a man and especially artists, you know, like, um, I have over the last two years been focused internally on that myself, you know, partly for myself and partly cause my boy is six years old and he's the youngest in the class. And I'm like, I got to have some comprehension. So I go, I hang out with like real estate agents and, CEOs and then I hang out with artists. And so I have all these different um, observations of like what it means to be a man and being an artist with a sensitive kind of, I don't know, constitution, whatever. It sounds 18th century to say it like that. Um, but I think that this is an une unexplored, untalked about thing is how we, how men and women, I'm sure the, the goes to that. I just only, I only, only, I only know the male experience. Um, of not feeling like I belong in that club. You know, it's a very powerful thing, I think, right there that you shared. Yeah. And for me, it had something to do also with being a man in the sense of uh, growing up, like not being mm -hmm. a child anymore. Mm -hmm. There was a, a kid, <laughs> like a, a young, younger man sitting next to me, to my mm -hmm. left. And I saw his his distraction. He was fiddly. He was disrespectful in a way, mm -hmm. like not observing the rules and kind of making a joke out of them. And yeah, there came a moment like in the in those ten days, like on day three or day four, when I recognized like, oh yeah, like this is a boy, this is a child. And I'm a man. I had always felt like a child until then. Mm -hmm. So that was also really helpful. And I it's those, those trials, I guess, that we put ourselves through or that life throws us in and then we sink or swim, hopefully swim. Yeah. And there's no codified culture for that at this point. Men or women, I think. How you transition. Yeah. Sport, I think, is a big one for a lot of people. Sure. Totally. But you have to do it for yourself, I think, through meaningful, courageous action. <laughs> so if we go to, yeah, if we go to that, that, what, so let me ask it this way. Um, and I know we're going over our time here a little bit, but this is such I feel like we got to the meat and potatoes of stuff right there. And um, yeah. you train people. Uh, I train people. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, how do I want to phrase this? Um, what do you think are the mistakes that we as artists make um, that affect us? You know, first we could start with this notion of that affect us you know, here on this definition of how we see ourselves as kids or we see ourselves as adults, you know, because I also feel like a, I feel like a kid, you know, I mean, I, I run a fairly yeah, there's successful. Good parts of that. What's that? Playfulness. There's good parts of, of being like a kid, 
childlike yeah. openness and wonder and playfulness. And kids are open, right? And it, you have to do that as an artist. You have to be yeah. open to crazy. And as an adult, you're supposed to control crazy. You're not supposed to be open to it. You're supposed to like, you're supposed to solve it. So what do you think are the problem or the mistakes that we make as artists and students, um, you know, that, that hurt us and maybe have hurt you? Um, one point, like one thought I just had, yeah. there's a, there's non-dual spirituality. Hmm. And I just thought of non-dual, like in the sense of the artist, the, like the, powerful free artist is both child and adult like there needs to be discipline and courage of the adult but also the openness and wildness of the child like fused together or oscillating between the two um, but about the mistakes yeah i think so much of it is psychological so much And I wish I had more tools to like lead people to their confidence mm -hmm. or courage or openness or sometimes discipline. And I guess the, like if I chunk up like on the, in the hierarchical level of ideas, it would be knowledge of self that's missing not understanding not knowing yourself not being aware of of how you're acting or what's happening yeah what's going on on the page that you're on your drawing and also within yourself hmm. if you were the leader that you wanted to be how would you help us be better artists what would what would you do challenge you i guess Mm -hmm. by inviting to do things that scare you that are meaningful and you probably know what those are for you mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're listening there's a great guy i don't know if you know about this guy jia Chung. i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name correctly uh rejection challenge do you know about this mm, doesn't ring a bell no 100 days of rejection <laughs> pretty great it's this guy who i'm gonna butcher this uh i think he was expecting a baby he had always wanted to start a business but always had been too scared and his mm -hmm. wife kind of gave him an ultimatum mm -hmm. like look you gotta do this now or never like you have to get a regular job we have the baby coming and he realized that what was stopping him was fear of rejection so he set himself a challenge to go for a hundred days in a row uh, ask for things that would give him a no so he would go to burger king eat a burger and then go back and ask for a burger refill <laughs> and they would say of course no <laughs> or he would go dress up in a soccer dress and go ring, ring the doorbell of some random person with a soccer ball and like dressed up and ask if he can play soccer in the in their backyard and he filmed all of this with a like his cell phone in a chest pocket like hidden camera and it's on youtube and the soccer experience the guy actually said yes so gia went to play soccer in this guy's backyard or ride in a police car or I don't know he made like it it changed him he's a speaker now and he has he's building an app to help people do these rejection challenges mm -hmm. i've done a few i haven't had the stomach for a lot of them <laughs> but i think it's a it's a great thing got some some amazing experience experiences doing that a simple one is just to go out and give give a stranger a compliment and it changes the way you walk through the street if you're just kind of looking for the right person to give a comment about their hairstyle or their clothing or their smile or something. 
I love that. Dorian, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I hope this was relevant. I was a bit concerned because most people that are listening are probably in game art and kind of in that field and I'm more traditional kind of observational drawing and all of that. But I think like, I'm glad that you allowed the conversation to go where it went because it transcends the different fields, I think. Mm, agreed. Agreed. And, um, and I, I, you know, like I've said, I always appreciate you and I feel like we're kindred spirits. Same um, here. Yeah. I really actually part, part of half of no 30% of me, um, wants to just go do the Barcelona drawing side <laughs> of things. 30% <laughs> wants to go sculpt with Christina and, uh, the 30% wants to do games. So there uh, we go. Well, you have time. I got time. I'm young yet. Yeah. Dorian again, man. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Me too. And thanks everyone for joining us and take meaningful, courageous action. Fantastic way to end this. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't say that better. I love that. All right. Take care, right. guys. I will see some of you in the class in just a moment. And uh, if you want to learn more about Dorian, just Google him. Uh, I-T-E-N for the last name. All right. right. Take care, guys. Have a great one. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.